your Bibles and turn back to 1 Corinthians and go to chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read these verses again in just a minute of chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. But before we do that, um, probably most of you know this already, uh, but the, the Rennies uh, have moved down to the peninsula and they're here today and it's their last service with us and uh, it makes me very, very sad. Um, but I'm hopeful that... Uh, They'll prosper and that integrate into a church and be serving the Lord there. Uh, it happens sometimes in life, and uh, you know, there's nothing you can do about it except for trust the Lord. And I know that that Morgan has talked to me and and they've counseled with me, and it's it's not uh, they're not leaving on a on a bad note in any way at all. It's just they're they're moving locations, and and uh, you make sure that you say goodbye to. Them. We have some cake uh, over in the fellowship hall today uh, to just kind of say goodbye and have an opportunity to wish them well and I'm going to miss Penny, I'm going to miss Lewis the most, then Michelle and maybe Morgan after that. <laughs> he goes, yeah, because that's how it is for you in your life, right Morgan? <laughs> yeah, we love you folks very much, love you dearly, hate to see you go, um, but you make sure you greet the Rennies, all right? Also, we do need to have choir practice today. Uh, we're getting ready for our Christmas season, and uh, from here on out, there's going to be lots of practicing going on after church on Sundays and Wednesdays in preparation for our Christmas program. And so, choir, I need you right away after church so that we can uh, get this practice done, and then the teen choir is going to practice after that. And so, if you're in the teen choir, just stick around too, uh, but we'll do the adult choir first, and so please... Um, Help us out with that too. Uh, if you're fellowshipping and visiting and all of that, just be mindful that there's some practicing going on, okay, in the auditorium. All right. First Corinthians chapter three, look in verse one. And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto carnal, or, unto, or excuse me, as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto, or up until this point, he says, you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal, and walk as men? For while one say, saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Uh, before we dig into these verses, just to sort of introduce where we're going, or I think you already know where we're going based on this morning, but when it comes to living the Christian life, living the Christian life is not always easy. In fact, living the Christian life can be difficult. And, and somebody would say, well, why is, why is it difficult? How, how can it be that if we have God's own spirit within us, since we talked about the spiritual man this morning, how, how can it be that if we have God's Spirit in us to guide us and empower us, how is it hard to live the Christian life? Well, um, I think you should be able to recognize from your own life experience that it's not always easy to consistently do what is right. Uh, and you know what the Lord wants you to do, but it's not always easy to consistently do 
what is right. There's two reasons for that. There's the world and worldliness, but there's also our flesh. One is without, but the other one is within. And, and we, we would basically be telling the Apostle Paul that he doesn't know what he's talking about if we say it's not hard to live the Christian life. I think, uh, I think you are blowing smoke if you say that. Because life experience is different. And Paul said, I struggle and I battle with my flesh. He said, the thing that I would, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. And he describes the human condition even inside of Christianity. And the answer, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. But it illustrates for us, again, that it's not always easy. To live the Christian life. We have the world and its influences and worldliness. We also have our flesh. I think sometimes Christians think that worldliness is really only in terms of behavior or appearance. You know, you're worldly in your behavior, you're worldly in your appearance. Like, you know, going to nightclubs or going to bars or doing this or doing that. Those are worldly things. And people think of worldliness as just in terms of behavior or appearance. But worldliness goes a lot deeper than just some bad habits or worldly behavior. Worldliness is an orientation. It's a way of thinking. It's an attitude that takes over the Christian's life. Worldliness is allowing the world's way of thinking to influence my way of thinking. Paul was talking about the difference between human wisdom and godly wisdom. Worldliness is accepting the world's measuring sticks or the world's standards of thinking for our own attitudes or our own goals or our own standard of living. It's accepting that. It's an orientation. It's a way of thinking. That's really what worldliness is. The flesh is also a battle, an enemy. It's an obstacle that the Christian faces every single day, his flesh. It doesn't mean that it cannot be, that it won't be rendered useless or powerless. It can be through the Spirit of God. But we still have an old sin nature. The world and the flesh, those two things are closely related. And in fact, it's the flesh that produces the bridge that allows the world to influence my life. The world and the flesh, they complement each other. And they're often hard to tell apart. They're both spiritual enemies that are used of Satan to defeat the saints of God and to get into churches. Both of them have to be fought with spiritual weapons. God's Word and God's Spirit. The Corinthian believers, because we're in the book of 1 Corinthians and Paul writes this to these believers, they were ones who struggled with this issue of carnality. They were ones who had an especially hard time against their two enemies, the world and the flesh. And it seemed as though the Apostle Paul needed to address some very serious things going on inside of the church, but those things inside the church were related to the personal things in individual people's lives. And they were not breaking from the world or the flesh. And the, the result of that was that there was some divisions in the church. There was some worldliness, worldly ways of thinking in the church. And from chapter 1 and verse 18 all the way through the end of chapter 2, where we were this morning, Paul was pointing out uh, that they were divided amongst them. They were divided because of their continued love of human wisdom. 
and the things of the world. And so in chapter 3, when we come here to chapter 3, Paul shows them that they were also divided because of their flesh, because their continued yielding to the old sinful nature, and Paul calls it carnality. And so this morning, we considered the natural man. He's a lost man. He's not equipped to receive the things of God. We also considered the spiritual man, that he's a saved man with the Holy Spirit of God who reveals divine wisdom inside. And Paul comes to this third man in chapter 3, and he calls him the carnal man. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Here's the third man that Paul presents to us in this text, the carnal man. This kind of person lives his life according to his flesh. He lives a sensual life, and that doesn't always mean that which is immoral. What it means is this person lives and he reacts basically according to his feelings. The carnal man is a man who is a believer, but he, just like the spiritual man, he has two natures. He's got the spiritual man and he's got the old man. The difference is that the carnal man is dominated by his old nature, not the Holy Spirit of God. He quenches the influence of the Spirit of God in his life. And often the carnal believer cannot be discerned. Sometimes this is true. A carnal believer cannot be discerned from a lost man. Sometimes. Let me give you an example of that. Lot in Genesis is a great example. Lot, if you had seen him in Genesis chapter 13, in Genesis chapter 19, you have concluded that Lot was a lost man the way that he lived and what he was drawn to. But when you read 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7, the Bible says that Lot was a righteous man, that he was a believer. The problem with Lot is that he was carnal. And so this section in chapter 3 tells us all about the carnal man. And I want to make this note here. Carnality in the lives of God's children is a major reason why churches lose power and why churches end up having problems. Carnalities are carnality in the life of believers. And God has a way of withholding His power and withholding uh, His presence and His hand in the life of a person or in the life of a church because of carnality in the lives of God's people. So I want us to notice some things, some evidence here. And again, we're asking the question, which one are you? We asked about the natural man, the spiritual man. We saw the things that were evident in both of those uh, kinds of people's lives. But there's also some evidence in the carnal man's life. And Paul lists out a few of those things. Notice with me in verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. The first thing that we note here is that the maturity level of the carnal believer 
is what is, is what is being demonstrated here. Paul says, your maturity level is one of a baby. I wanted to speak unto you as somebody who is spiritual, but I couldn't. I have to speak unto you as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So notice the maturity of the carnal believer. Paul states that he could not speak unto them as spiritual people, but as unto carnal or fleshly people, even babies. And he says that the carnal man essentially is a baby still, spiritually speaking. He started out the right way. He was born again but he's not progressed in his Christian life. You know what, babies? Maybe not right when they're first born, but babies are cute. Babies are precious. Babies are sweet, but babies are not designed to remain babies. They're designed to grow up. They're designed to become adults. They're designed to be, uh, we're designed to become uh, 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 mature, uh, productive members of society. Do you know that a 20, 25, 30-year-old man who still needs to be cared for by mama is not cute? Not at all. It's the opposite of cute. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. It's fitting, and it's normal to start out as a baby when you're first saved. You're a new believer, you're a new creation. But it's so tragic for God's people to remain that way. The Corinthian believers were not babies in the sense that, uh, you know, they were... uh, they, they didn't have time or things like that. It, they weren't babies in the sense that they were newly saved, but because of their inexcusable lifestyle, their, their maturity level was still remaining as that, as that of a baby. They were babies because they refused to give up their worldly ways and their fleshly desires. And so Paul says, you're carnal, you're babies, you're immature spiritually. And the application here is this. The carnal believer is one who suffers from stunted development. And what I mean by that is they haven't grown as they should in the Lord. But it's not because of the Lord. It's not because of opportunity. It's typically of their own choosing. Now, there are cases when somebody is born again. They got saved, but they've never been in a position where they could be instructed where they, could, where they could be taught doctrine, where they could have that opportunity. And so they might remain in an immature state, which a lot of that may not even be of their own fault. They didn't have opportunity, but they still have the Spirit of God nonetheless who will teach them. But it is, it is tragic and it's, it's inexcusable for God's people who have access to the Word of God, who are in a good church with sound doctrine, it is inexcusable for those people to remain babies in the Lord. It's not the will of God. By the way, how long you've been saved has nothing to do with your level of maturity so often. Did you know that? I mean, to some degree. But I've seen believers who've been saved for a very short time who have grown substantially in the Lord. And by the same token, I've seen others who've been saved for lengthy periods of time who still haven't gotten out of the nursery, spiritually speaking. 
They're still crying. They're still griping. They're still whining, just like little babies do. They're calling attention to themselves. The tragedy of this is that God didn't save us to stay babies. He saved us to grow into the image of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, just keep your place here. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13. This is the will of God here. In verse 11, the Apostle Paul says that God gave apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. He gave them as gifts to his church, to his churches. And the reason for that is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And here's the purpose. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or complete man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The reason they are there is for our spiritual growth, that we might grow into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. That we henceforth, from here on out, be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. What is it that causes us to grow up into him, into Christ? The truth. Speaking the truth in love, we may grow into the image of Jesus Christ. It's the will of God for us to grow into the image of Christ, not stay spiritual babies. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. In verse 18. The command is grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. This growing into the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ is not learning facts about the person of Jesus Christ. It's experiential knowledge, meaning that I take on His life, or His life is becoming my life. Experiential knowledge to grow into the image of Jesus Christ, and it's something that brings glory to God. And so Paul is talking here in 1 Corinthians about the marks of, uh, or the, the maturity level of a carnal man is that he's still a baby in Christ. And we're going to talk about this in just a minute, but for the length of time that a person has been saved, we ought to be able to grow into a place where we're able to teach other people the things of God. But there are believers who have been saved for so long, they, they, they could never... Uh, be able to teach doctrinally or the truth of God to an immature believer or to a baby in Christ. That's a shame. One of the, one of the focuses of, of our Sunday school class, the, doing the ABCs of Christian growth, it's not just for new believers and new church members, but there's some older ones, and I've, I've told them, like, the purpose for this class for you ought to be that you are growing in your own knowledge of doctrine so that you can then take and share and teach others also. That's how God 
God's will or God's pattern or God's plan is that faithful men will be able to teach others also. You grow in your faith and in your Christian life, and you're able to pass that on to others. But Paul says, I couldn't speak unto you as spiritual. I couldn't give you the deeper things. You weren't able to handle it, and you're still not able to handle it because you're babies in the Lord. Well, how do you know? How do you know you're still a baby in Christ or an immature saint of God? Well, Paul gives some marks of a carnal believer. So he saw the maturity level of a carnal man, a man who's controlled by his flesh, but there's some marks, some indicators. And we would do well, again, to take a good look in the mirror today, take a good look into the perfect law of liberty, and to be honest with ourselves, and I'm talking, trying to, talking to believers right now, because we can get to a point where we're like, oh, I, I'm... I'm I'm a saint of God. I'm, I'm a mature believer. I'm a Christian. I live this life. But there might be actually some things that are present in our lives that say otherwise about us. And we shouldn't want that. We shouldn't want that to be characteristic of our life. So what are these marks? We'll go back to our text. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to look at verse 2. The first mark here is that of a carnal believer is that he's still on milk. He says in verse 2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto, or up till this point, you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. He's talking about the fact that they've not experienced spiritual growth, and the only things that they really can handle is the milk of the word. The carnal believer is still on milk spiritually. And you know what? Milk is fine for babies. 1 Peter 2.2, 2, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, and it's that ye may grow thereby. And so milk is fine for babies, but as we mature, we're supposed to move beyond the milk of the word into the meatier places of the word of God. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and look at verse 11. Hebrews 5, 11, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, From whom we have many things to say, or of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers... Ye have need that one teach you again, which be of the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, to discern both good and evil. Notice how he says that here that the those who uh, or that strong meat belongs to those who are of full age, those who are mature. But what is it that has made them mature in the faith? He says, who by reason of use has their senses exercised. You know what makes us uh, babies in Christ still when we're not using this book. He said, he that needs milk is unskillful in the word. 
And when for the time, for the amount of time that you've been saved, you ought to be at a point where you can teach other people, but you have to have somebody still teaching you and spoon-feeding you everything because you are not using the, the tools given to you and having your senses, spiritual senses, exercised because you're not using it. And a mark of a carnal believer is that he's still on milk and he doesn't use the Word of God. Here's the very reason that some people are not growing in the Lord. They don't want to go deeper into the things of the Lord. And the reason they do not want to is because they know it will require change in their life. You try to lead them deeper into the Word of God or spiritual things, they end up getting spiritual indigestion. They don't want to go that direction because fleshly habits are threatened and sin is exposed. When Paul says here in verse 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, when he says that there, he's not talking about necessarily things that are harder to understand, but things that are a little more difficult to digest. You know what? Preaching the truth of the Word comes with a commitment to the things of God. Being a believer in Christ and being a member of the Lord's church, having the Word of God exposed to us and in our life, it requires something out of you and out of me, and it requires more commitment to the Lord. But there's a lot of Christians who want to go to church and they want to appear spiritual. They want to do the things that let them be a part of it. But there's no commitment to go deeper into the spiritual things of God. And oftentimes when they're challenged with it, what they do is react in a fleshly way that says, I don't want to hear that. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Instead of having a humble, submissive spirit about it, you know what? That is a problem for me. It is something I've struggled with. The Lord has revealed it to me. I'm ashamed of myself for that. I want the Lord to grow me and to change me. And so, Lord, I yield myself to you in this area. But so often the reaction is, that's not a problem. You're the problem. And it's pride that wells up inside. And it's our flesh that is dominating that and controlling that, and it's the very thing that keeps people from growing in the Lord. The truth of God in the Word of God requires and calls for commitment. It calls for a change of life, that we don't stay the same, that henceforth we're not children anymore. It calls for and demands separation Separation from the world and unto God. God calls us to be set apart, to be holy, because I am holy. To be set apart, to be different. And, when, and a lot of times, Christian people who are not submitted to that, they get an upset stomach spiritually. But it might show itself in, I'm just not, I, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to hear that. There's this problem, there's that problem. And it might just be that there's some spiritual indigestion going on. 
because we're not submitted to the will of God and our flesh is controlling us. The carnal Christian doesn't like that. They won't go there. And they stay in the nursery, spiritually speaking. The maturity of a carnal Christian is that they're still on milk. They can't handle the deeper or harder things because it requires more of them and they don't want to. You know what I appreciate a lot? Is that the Lord doesn't give up on me when I'm a little stubborn and I have been in my life. I don't want to let go. The Lord doesn't give up on me and He chastens and He corrects, corrects me and I got to come to the point where I say, okay, you're right. You're right, Lord. I surrender and I yield to you. But sometimes the Lord does that through other people, meaning that some things in my life need to be highlighted, they need to be exposed, they need to be brought out because I'm not dealing with it, I'm not seeing it, and it's got to be exposed so that it can come to my attention so that the Lord can deal with it in my life. The Lord uses other people to do that. The Lord uses other people to do that in your life. And I appreciate it very much when there is a response from somebody that says, you know what, you're right. That's a lesson that I need to learn. It's something that is in my life and I want God's help and I want God's grace to gain victory over this because, because I want to give glory to God with my life. I want to yield to Him. I want to grow. So there's a humble response. And it shows that there's, there's some more spirituality there uh, that, that, is, that is behind it all in that, in that he's not just staying a baby in the Lord. Paul gives us another mark. Look at verse 3. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and look at verse 3. So he says, You're, I fed you with milk. That's a mark of a carnal believer and they couldn't handle the stronger things, the meatier things, they weren't able to bear it because they're carnal. And then he says this, For ye are yet carnal, and here's another mark, For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Here's another indicator of carnality in the life of a believer or one who's controlled by their flesh. He says there's envyings, there's jealousies, there's strife. And what he's talking about, there's envying and strife and divisions. Are ye not carnal? The word, the word for strife basically means quarreling. You've got some quarrels going on. There's some envy going on. It's jealousy. There's some strife, some quarreling going on. And it's a mark of the fact that your flesh is controlling you. Do you know what babies are by nature selfish creatures? You don't have to teach them how to be selfish, right? They're, they want what they want, and they're going to let you know they want it. And they're going to let you know in a very particular way that it's really all about me right now. That's what babies do. They don't care that it's an off-putting you. They don't care that it's an inconvenience to mom to keep her up all night long. <laughs> Babies don't care about that. 
Babies don't care how tired mom and dad are. They don't care about anything else in the world as long as they are getting what they want right now. It's pretty natural. And we, won't, we don't hold that against a baby, uh, in the, physically speaking. They want to be the center of attention. They want their needs to be met. And as long as their needs are being met and they're the center of attention, then they're going to be fine. But when something is wrong in their world, oh, they cry and they whine and they complain until they get their way. Right? Oh, this is going to sting. <laughs> There's a lot of grown people who are a bunch of babies. As long as they're the center of attention... As long as things are going their way, as long as people agree with me, we're fine. Everything's good. But when something goes wrong in their world, oh, they start whining. They start complaining. They start crying. They start pointing fingers. They start doing all of these things. That's a carnal believer because of self-centeredness and because self-centeredness is at the heart of fleshly behavior, jealousy, strife, quarreling, it's always found in the immature saint. Jealousy is an attitude. Strife is a corresponding action. One is the inner emotional condition. The other is the outward expression of selfishness. And because the focus is on themselves, it doesn't matter what's best for the church. It doesn't matter what's best for other people. All that matters is how it affects them personally and how I feel and what I think. And when a carnal believer is unhappy, oh, everybody knows it. They act like a big baby. And all the whining and complaining is just calling attention to themselves. How do you know? <laughs> a good indicator of self-centeredness is this. If you find yourself easily offended at someone for what they've said or what they've done. If you play the victim card, like you're always getting picked on. If you think you're right, but everybody else is wrong, mark it down. There's some growing up that needs to happen in that Christian's life. I'm always offended. I'm triggered. I'm easily offended. At the very slightest things. Or people are picking on me. Or something like that. Listen, listen. You say, oh, I know some people like that. <clears throat> but I also know some people who always think that they are right and everybody else is wrong. Either way, whichever way we want to go with that, it's still carnality. It's still the flesh. Often what goes along with that is gossiping, complaining, those are common symptoms of babies. 
I think at the end of the day, when our focus is on Christ, and my heart is just to please Him, and to, to yield to Him, and to give Him glory, and to serve Him, at the end of the day, when, if that is our focus, we look around at all these other things that happen between people, and we're just like, you know what, that is so petty. It is so ridiculous. There is, there is no reason to put energy into that. Let's put our energy into serving and loving Christ instead. It's the orientation. It's the way of thinking that Paul is talking about here. And these can be, we can think that we're all spiritual, but we've got these things that are prevalent in our life or that are common in our life. And listen, maybe we're not as spiritual as we think we are. Maybe we're a little more carnal than we understand. There's divisions, he says. He says there's among you envyings, there's strife, and there's divisions. Another trait of the carnal believer is that they bring division with them pretty much everywhere they go. The carnal believer carries a divisive spirit within them. Maybe they're easily offended. They're always responding, maybe by being offensive in return. Instead of being kind and forgiving and tender-hearted and loving one another, we, they respond with an offensive response or spirit besides. And as a result, the carnal believer, basically they kill everything they touch. Their relationships, their church, pretty much everything. In fact, go to Romans chapter 8. Notice what Paul says about this in Romans chapter 8. In verse 6, Romans 8, 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Isn't that funny how peace follows that which is spiritual and that which is right? But divisions follow and complaining follows and strife follows that which is carnal. He said to be spiritually minded is life and peace, but to be carnally minded is death. He says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Ow. Ow. A carnal believer has a way of killing the things they touch. Maybe it's a Sunday school class. Maybe it's a choir. Maybe it's a singing group. Maybe it's a testimony service. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's discouraging to somebody else. Everything the flesh touches dies. And you know what? God wants to get it out. Because He wants less and less of the old nature, amen, and more and more of Christ's nature, the perfect man, growing into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Division only occurs where there is selfishness. The Bible tells us that only by pride cometh contention. That's a pretty powerful statement. So if there's contention, there's pride somewhere. 
And so the Apostle Paul says, I want to speak unto you as spiritual, to be a spiritual people, have, be a spiritual man, but you're still carnal. You're controlled by your flesh. And the evidence of that is that you're still on milk spiritually. You can't bear the stronger things. You're carnal because there's envyings and there's strife and there's divisions among you. You're just like babies with self as the focus. These are marks of immaturity. And he says, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? There were factions going on in this church. Oh, I'm a follower of this guy. Oh, I'm a follower of that guy. Some even said, oh, I'm a follower of Christ. We're the more spiritual ones. And he says, it's all flesh. Jealousy, strife, divisions. Lest we think of them as something insignificant, we ought to realize that those things are far from petty sins in God's eyes. Jealousy and strife that causes divisions in the church, in the Lord's body, that's not something to be messed with. The, the, the body that He gave His own blood for, it's not a light thing with God. And so... There's other things, I suppose, that we could consider. But the carnal man is one who is controlled by his flesh. And the marks that the Apostle Paul gives in this particular passage ought to be things that we take a look at, that we consider and examine seriously. And then we ask ourselves the question, who am I today? Am I the natural man, the unsaved man? Am I spiritually minded my spiritual man, or my a saved person, but there's carnality in my life. Are you saved or are you the natural man? Are you spiritually minded or are you the carnal man? Listen, we all are from time to time. We can be carnal from time to time. And the Apostle Paul said it even in himself that he was. In Romans 7, in verse 14, I alluded to this earlier, but he says in Romans 7 and verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. In verse 20, Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members, which is in my flesh, it's my body. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Paul said, I struggle with the same thing sometimes. If we can see, though, that there's some areas of carnality in the life, our response ought to be, Lord, you're right. I see that. I agree with you. And Lord, I want you to mature me, to make me into the image of Christ. I yield that to you. And I need your Spirit to lead me and guide me. And we need to learn to walk in the Spirit so that we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Amen? What are you? Is there some carnality in the life?
indicated by some divisions and some quarrelings and some strife and some self-centeredness. Well, Paul goes on to say in Romans that we ought to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly and righteously. And it's based on the mercy that God has shown you in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. And I pray that we would do an honest evaluation. Not sit and nitpick or pick things apart, but do an honest evaluation with the word and with you. And Lord, that we would be humble in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.